Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, where we sit down with opera professionals to talk about how the industry really works. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Today we're talking with soprano Jennifer Rowley about main stage auditions, how they work, what the audition package contains, and juxtaposing American and European auditions. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining me for the beginning of season three of uh, the Opera Biz podcast. Um, and thank you so much for doing it from overseas and taking your time out in the middle of your performing. Absolutely. So no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, first up for the people who um, aren't totally familiar with your your career and what you're up to these days, can you chat real quick about uh, kind of your primary rep? I know you're doing a bunch of Tosca stuff this year. Um, talk a little bit about that, Some maybe some notable performances. Sure. Yeah. So I pretty much sing Puccini, Verdi, and Bel Canto. That's it. Not too shabby. <laughs> that's, well, that's probably, that's pretty much where I stay. Um, I am super interested in like getting into some German rep in the future, but not yet. It's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things, you know, where like, I want to sing all of the Italian rep that I can before I go to the German, just because the the throat shape is so different for mm-hmm. that bigger repertoire than for the bel canto stuff. So, um, but I, yes, I have a lot of Toscas. <laughs> she's, she's become my girl and I am <laughs> totally fine with that. Um, so I have, yeah, I have some Toscas. I have some Trovatore. Uh, I have some Aidas overseas, which is great. Um, some, I have Simone Bocanegra in, um, in Turish, in uh, Amelia, which I also love so much. Um, and yeah, I, I do a lot of bel canto. I, I don't get to do it as much as I would like to, um, but the uh, the pandemic sort of brought bel canto back into my life. So I was, uh, you know, we all had to occupy ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> and our minds yep. for so long. Um, so I, I learned Norma, which I love, and, and cannot wait to sing. Um, and I was supposed to make my debut in Roberto Devereux, which I hope someday to be able to do again. I was supposed to do it in Sydney. Um, and it of course got canceled because of, of COVID, but I, I was just in love with Elizabeth. So, yeah. um, yeah, so all that kind of, all those, those things, those wonderful, juicy Italian roles, um, make me very happy. How did you yeah. like working on, um, learning Norma that's a beast of a role it's you know it's funny because when you talk about those roles when you talk about the queens when you talk about Norma when you talk about those those things where you really have to thread the needle right the whole time you really are on a thin line the whole time they're they're really made for certain voices yeah and I think you know right away if you have that voice or if you don't have that voice. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some of the Verdi stuff, some of the Verdi stuff that really echoes Bel Canto is the same way. You know, if you have that voice or if you don't, yeah. um, if, if Leonora is really hard for you, it's probably not right. You know, right. or if Aida is really easy for you, it's probably right. You know? And uh, so with Norma, when I was learning it, I learned, I gobbled it up. Like it was like, a big cheeseburger. Like it was so, <laughs> it was so fun to learn, and it was it wasn't hard, you know. Yeah. And and for me, that's when I know that the repertoire is really right. Is when it it goes in, and my throat goes, oh yeah, I know how to sing this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I get this. Like it already feels like home. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you would have asked me to sing Norma five years ago, I would never have been able to do it. I didn't have right. the mastery of, of technique that you need to do that. But I really, but I really do think that with things like that, the, the repertoire tells you if it's right or not. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, for me, she was, she was like, let's go girl. <laughs> you know? So we had, I had a good time learning it. I really did. And I, I hope to get to sing it eventually in my career before I move on to anything that's, you know, too much bigger. Yeah. And I do, you know, I do think I will. I, I do think that Lady Macbeth will come. I do, you know, I do think that Attila and Nabucco and all those things will come, but you know, I still have never sung Anna Bolena and I'd really love to. So yeah. I feel like, you know, you get some of those things working, keep the voice as young as possible for as long as possible, and then move into, you know, that bigger repertoire. Yeah. Um, you know, Sandra Rabinowski really, she did it the whole completely the right way. Yeah. You know, yeah. she, she really kept that coloratura as long as she could, you know, and then moved into the bigger stuff. And her Aida is just spectacular. God, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. But she, she did it the right way. And I would love to, uh, I'd love to follow that, that path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so you're coming to yeah. us from France today. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the production you're working on right now. Yeah, I'm in Rouen, France. Um, we are doing a new production of Torovature, and it is exciting and so cool, and I'm obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> it's very mod, very mod, and I it's 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 not so modern that you don't understand what's going on you know sometimes there are those productions that are like so out there that you're like I don't quite understand what's happening here yeah. but this this production makes perfect sense and the directing team is just spectacular and they have thought out everything to the very smallest detail and everything has been explained you know so thoroughly and I think once it's all put together on the stage, it's going to be a very exciting production. And there will be a stream on uh, the 2nd of October. And I think it's going to look really good on the screen as well. I think it's going to be one of those things that translates really well to, to DVD and online streaming and things like that. Yeah. Is that yeah, um, super fun? Is that going to be, is that a limited time frame for the stream? Like, is it a, like performance stream? So it's going to be it'll probably be middle of the afternoon our time it's i believe it's four o'clock here in france so that's 10 a.m oh, in, okay. in uh, the u.s yeah i think and then i think it stays on for a week or something but they haven't given us all of the details but i do i do think that it's going to be something that's going to be really fun to watch you know trovatore is hard it's yeah a hard opera to do the storyline is very convoluted and it can be boring, you know, yeah. it's, it can be just, okay, well, when's the next big aria, you know, kind of a thing. And it's hard to tell the story sometimes. Yeah. So I think this is a, this production is a really interesting and fun way to tell the story. And I think it will, I, I think it will reach a lot of young you know, opera goers, new yeah. opera goers who maybe got into opera during the pandemic where they could watch it online. And I think this will, this will intrigue them. This will, mm -hmm. this will make them interested. Yeah. And we're in that, I love it. that phase of, of trying to play to both the stage and the screen simultaneously right, right now. Um, 
it, it some of it works really really well and i love to see yeah. directors that understand both stage space and screen space yeah, uh, and that's a that's a, it takes a unique director to see that it um, does it does and but i think it's not going away it's no, not no, going to go agree. away i agree i think it's necessary um i i think i think the streaming you know one of the positives you know, during the whole pandemic, when we were, you know, all kind of being safe and staying at home was that we could sit down at night and watch something from Vienna in, yes. you know, for my, in my house in Fort Myers, Florida, you yeah. know, and, and people could watch the great performances at the Met. They could enjoy opera in a different way. And so I think, I think it has to stay. We had, I mean, we had such amazing feedback and an interaction from the Boca Negra from, from Zurich that we did that had the big online streaming and now has the DVD out. Huge, huge reaction. Mm -hmm. People loved it. Yeah. You know, I'm so excited to have an audience in the theater this season to, for them to see it. You know, yeah. it was needed. You know, people people yeah. needed that in exactly. their homes at that time. So I think it, I think it's here to stay. I agree. And I, th I think it's nice because it, it gives you opportunity to see stuff that you wouldn't normally be able to see or stuff that's fun and a little bit engaging. I mean, during the had it been June last year, maybe July, um, I got a text from Chris Maltman. He was like, hey, we're doing this um, like Instagram streaming concert. Can you help me tech it the day before? And I was like, yeah, sure, oh. not a problem. So I hopped onto <laughs> his live feed because he did a, like a tech run and, uh, you know, just from his phone in the church, um, he and Audrey did this little recital and it was great. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that I wouldn't yeah. have been able to randomly run over to the north of France and watch this recital go down. And, nope. you know, so I got yeah. to be a part of that in a totally different way and that would not have happened otherwise. And yeah, I think we're going to find a, a balance in the industry because it is a live art form that does live uniquely in the theater in a specific way. Mm -hmm. But we can kind of create a, a more breadth and modernization to the art form that I think, like Absolutely. you said, yeah, it's going to stick around for sure. And it will continue to grow and change and modernize in all the most wonderful ways. If we mm -hmm. keep it, you know, on both, on both places on the screen and in the theater. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. yeah. I agree. So let's back up geographically. Um, and go back to the US, you know, one of the reasons I started the podcast is so that both opera fans and emerging artists could know a little bit about the inner workings of the industry for the for the emerging artists. This is such a weird business because uh, each individual tier or rung of the ladder as you climb up, um, it, there's not a whole lot of information about it until you get there. You know, you don't learn what it's like to work in a different house until you get there or a different tier company until you get there. Um, it's just not uh, it doesn't have the same transparency as a lot of other industry industries. So starting this podcast and talking to people like yourself, we can get info from the inside and really help out what we didn't get in conservatories, what Absolutely. I didn't learn when I was getting my degrees. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit today about the differences between auditioning um, slash casting for tier one houses versus regional houses in the States. Um, like, in your mind, what are some significant differences between how those auditions work and how you get work in either tier? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think you bring up an amazing point. This that transition between young artist to main stage artist that transition is not taught. No, not at all. Not, not even a little. Not bit. even spoken about. You no. know. <laughs> and so when you get out there, 
and start to do auditions for regional and tier one houses, you have no idea what you're in for. And it's sort of, you know, a trial and error at that point and figuring mm-hmm. out what do I need to do? Oh, well, that didn't go so well. Maybe <laughs> next time I'll do this, you know? <laughs> and I, I, it really does need to be talked about because, you know, uh, there is an art behind auditioning. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really believe that the young singers of the United States are taught in conservatory you know, how to audition, but not necessarily how to perform in their audition. Absolutely. I think it's, it's immensely important that you understand in any realm, if you're going for graduate school, young artist program, main stage, whatever, you are going into that room to show who you are as an artist, what you do, And what you have to give to that company or production or whatever the case may be. We in conservatory are basically taught that walking into an audition is, are people going to like you or not like you? Mm -hmm. And I actually don't think that that's the mindset that one should go into. And I think that the mindset completely changes when you're out of school and you go through the young artist program and you get into those general auditions, those, Mm -hmm. those a house auditions, regional house auditions, where people are getting to know you. If you can go into that room with the mindset of I'm here to show you who I am, what I do, what I have to give your auditions will be much more successful than if you go into the room and say, will they like me? Mm -hmm. It's completely a different animal. And I wish that that were taught in conservatory. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that the thought of, will they like me? Will they like my voice? Will they like my outfit? Will they think that this, that, the other thing? Will they think I'm prepared? Will they like my acting? If all of these negative thoughts could be done away with in Mm. conservatory, Mm -hmm. I think people would know how to audition earlier than when you get to this level, when you're going in from main stage and regional houses. What, What I think helps with that mindset is when you do start going, in the emerging professional world. Number one, you're probably gonna have a manager. Mm-hmm. Not many auditions are, are given out to non-managed singers unless right. there's you know an application process where you know they've put out something on Yap Tracker or something like that looking for main stage singers and you've sent recordings and you've applied for that kind of a thing. That's That's happening, that's out there for smaller companies. But when we're talking about like regional level companies like Nashville or New Orleans or Palm Beach or Florida Grand, that level of of the house, and then the A houses like Chicago and Houston and the Met and those, those types of places, more than likely you're going in because your manager submitted you for something specific. Mm -hmm. And that specificity helps so much in when you actually walk through the door because Mm -hmm. you know that they've already said, yes, we want to hear this person for one reason or another. 
So the man, so you have to know, number one, when you walk through the door, what are you auditioning for? Are you going in for a general audition just to get to know you audition? Or were you submitted for something specific for that house? Mm -hmm. And that's something that changes between that young artist level and the main stage level. The regional companies tend to have more of those general getting to know you auditions. And when you are submitted for a season, basically, your manager takes a look at basically someone from the opera house, like let's use Nashville, for example. Someone from Nashville Opera sends out a call for singers to the managers in the business and says, here's our casting. This is what we're looking to cast. This is the season and this is our proposed repertoire, basically. Mm -hmm. That repertoire can change, but obviously these are the four things we're going to do that season or we're planning on doing. And then they will, either they will say we're looking for blue, 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 blue roles, or please submit singers for this repertoire. Then the manager will send back to said house all of the people that they have that might fit into that season. So already we're getting more specific. Mm-hmm. Already we know, okay, these are the four operas, you know, maybe you fit into two of them. And right. so your manager thinks, oh, they should hear you. Okay. So the manager submits back, let's say he submits 20 singers, hopefully not, but let's say he submits 20 singers. <laughs> And then the company comes back and says, okay, we can hear 10. So we would like to hear boom, 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 boom. And then those 10 singers go in for that audition. And that audition will be a general getting to know you audition. You take your five contrasting arias or six, dependent upon what you want to present. And you go in and you show Nashville Opera who you are what you have to give, what you have to say, what kind of an artist you are, what kind of a voice you have, blah, blah, blah. But it's a performance for that panel. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, I hope they I hope they like this, or I hope they need this in their season, or I hope they need blah, 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 blah. No, they ask to hear you, so you go show them who you are. Yeah. What do you sing? What kind of repertoire? What kind of an artist are you? What kind of an actress are you? You know, all those things. So that's the first kind of audition. And then the second kind of audition in the regional and main stage level is more specific where the house has written to the management agency and has says, I am looking for this role, this role, this role. The manager has sent, okay, I have these two sopranos available in that date period for let's say Bohem. I have these two sopranos available for Mimi. I have these two sopranos available for Musetta. Then the house writes back and says, yes, we'd like to hear so-and-so for Mimi and so-and-so for Musetta or both of them or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you know going in, you're going to sing for Mimi or Musetta, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So then you structure, obviously, your repertoire list a little bit differently. If you know you're specifically going in for Mimi and you know Mimi's arias, you better have them. Have them with you, right? If you don't know Mimi's arias yet, but you have some Puccini, bring some Puccini. If you don't have Puccini, but you have some other Verismo, maybe you sing Nedda or something like that, bring something that's similar so that they can say, oh yeah, I definitely hear her voice in Mimi. Great, let's cast her. Yeah. So there's two really specific types of auditions that happen once you get into that regional 
and main stage level. And you have to know how to prepare for what you're going into. So that's where the manager becomes very important and the communication becomes very important. You know, and the manager needs to say, I submitted you for Mimi. They'd like to hear you at this day on this time in, you know, whatever studios in New York City. Right. <laughs> you need to come in, you know, bring your five, bring your five aria list, whatever. And then you basically structure your list accordingly based upon what you're going in for. If you're going in for a get to know you or if you're going in for something very specific. Yeah. Sometimes at the main house level, so like at the Met level, um, Chicago, San Francisco, they'll ask you to come for a working session. And that sometimes can be different where you would go in and you would take repertoire that you have obviously in your audition package, but they might also ask for specific excerpts from roles, or if they're hearing, you know, for a cover of Desdemona, they might ask you to bring the entirety of Act Four, or they might ask you to bring in the duet from Act Three, or specific parts of the role that they want to hear in that audition. Maybe they'll have an assistant conductor that you would work with, things like that. So a working session can be a little bit more in depth, longer usually, more like mm -hmm. a half hour you know, more repertoire going back and forth between things. Um, and that definitely happens at the, at the big house level. Yeah. 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 So everything that we've, you've talked about here just shows how, how much smaller and more niche the concept of each singer becomes um, yes. as, as you get hired more and more for um, individual roles and main stage work, you know, at the, at the YAP level, it's a, sing a little bit of everything or we mm -hmm. want to we want you to be able to do all of the above or we're, mm -hmm. we're hopefully finding somebody that can sing you know a, a large smattering of all the roles whereas when you start actually developing your career path it's a much more near basically it, from a marketing standpoint it's a much more narrow market it's a targeted yes. market um and you know even when you talked about what rep you do you you rattled off you know two composers plus a little bit of a, a relative yeah. subgenre of opera yeah. Um, is that something that you think that singers should start looking at the moment they want to be hired to sing, you know, absolutely. as opposed to, uh, okay. So let's define it under the, the concept of the term you've used multiple times, which we all know contrasting arias, the five contrasting, the arias. five contrasting dun, arias, dun, dun, dun. you know, mm -hmm. as a, as a young singer, those contrasting arias can often be extremely contrasting. Yeah. When you're at this main stage level, what do those contrasting arias look like? How, yeah, how so different are they really? They're very different because in young artist land, right? Number one, one of those five has to be English almost mm -hmm. always. Number two, you know, one of those five probably has to have some movement so we can show that you have some coloratura. And then all of those five probably are a different language because as a young artist, you know, let's take somebody like, who, who uses a four or five? Oh, like, like Michigan Opera Theater, okay? They have a very small core of young artists. They, I think they've got four or five that they usually cast for the year. One soprano, one mezzo, one tenor, one baritone, or bass, depending upon, you know, who they've chosen. Well, that one soprano, she is going to be involved in all four productions. Mm -hmm. And let's say that all four productions are English, Italian, French, and German, which they aren't normally, but they could be. 
they want to hear that that soprano has some sort of understanding and mastery of all of those languages and styles in order to be able to say, okay, we trust said soprano with all of these duties, whether it be compromario roles or covering of the main roles. That's when you have a small core of young artists. You have to show that you can do all of those things. When you transition out of that and you're going for specific roles or you're trying to build your brand and your career, you need to know who you are and what you do that is the right thing for you and the right thing for your voice. Mm -hmm. And... I don't necessarily like to tell my singers that they need to fit into a fach because I don't fit into a fach. <laughs> but we need to be around the general area yep. of a couple of fachs, you know. <laughs> I tend I tend to cross two or three fachs, but that's just because of the way different parts of the world and even different casting directors have heard me over the years, and that's fine. You know, some. I call myself a spinto soprano. Other people in Europe call me a dramatic soprano. Some people say dramatic coloratura. I tend to go with spinto and go with that repertoire. Do Mm. I sing dramatic coloratura repertoire? Yes, I do. Do I sing dramatic repertoire? Yes, I do. So, you know, I fit kind of around a little circle, but we've got some outreaching arms, (laughs) you know, kind of a thing. So, when you're going into that main stage level and you're going to the regional level and you're going to those A houses, you need to know where you fit. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you fit in English, French, Italian, German, Russian, Czech, blah, blah, blah. It, that doesn't mean that. Yeah. Right. There is a very specific voice type that sings Czech, Russian, German repertoire. And it has a very specific sound. It has a very, you know, it has a color and I don't have that color. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have a very Italian color. So you need to have a team around you that's leading you down the right path of where your voice is going to go. And by team, I mean your coaches, your teacher, your diction coaches, your acting coach, all those people who are helping you, you know, develop into the artist that you want to be. So, for me, let's say you're a mezzo. There is no mezzo that fits in all of the boxes, right? She, there is not one mezzo who sings uh, Handel, Carmen, um, Amneris, and <laughs> I don't know, um, Fricka. Okay. We don't do that. Okay. (laughs) We need to pick a part of the mezzofach where we fit best. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's say you're a high lyric mezzo. Okay. So maybe you sing Adalgisa, maybe you sing Sara, maybe you sing um, violin, maybe you sing composer, those kinds of things. But maybe you also sing Cherubino. Now, Cherubino isn't necessarily fit with the high lyric mezzofach, so to speak. But you can totally sing Carovino, right? Yeah. No, pro- you could probably sing Terlina too, no problem. So that's like an outreaching arm, right? But all of that repertoire really does take the casting director down one path for that person's future. Mm-hmm. And that casting director is not going to randomly come out and say, okay, let's do Eboli. Like right. it doesn't, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So you have to you have to lead 
the people sitting behind the table in the direction that you want to go with your future. So your rep list needs to be um, focused. It needs to not be confusing. Mm -hmm. It needs to tell us where we need to go as far as repertoire is concerned. And it needs to tell us, you know, are you an Italian at voice? Do you do better with like American contemporary repertoire? Because that is definitely a, a way to go. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's fantastic singers that have made a huge niche for themselves, just singing contemporary opera, which mm -hmm. I think is amazing. Are you more Italian? Are you more Germanic? Do you sing Wagner? You know, all those things you can get really specific with that repertoire list. Then if you are, let's say you're a high lyric mezzo and you do sing French and Italian and some German and some English, great. But then all of that stuff fits into one little path for the casting director to follow down. Mm -hmm. Contrasting then becomes contrasting styles, contrasting languages, blah, blah, blah. When I was auditioning, I didn't have four languages. I didn't even mm. have three for that matter, because I sing a lot of Italian. Yeah. So if I went to an audition and I, rem I remember actually some of these very specifically, if I went for an audition at, you know, the Met when they had my first getting to know you audition, it, it was all Italian. Yeah. <laughs> all Italian. Maybe I had a French piece on there, but it was all Italian because that's what they wanted to hear. They, they called me in because they were considering me from Musetta. And so they wanted to hear what I do. So I took Verdi, I took Puccini, I took some Belcanto. There's where we went, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was five, probably five, four with one probably French, I bet, mm -hmm. in that audition. But if I've got a Puccini, a Verdi, a Belcanto, and then, you know, maybe I had a second Verdi, all of those things would be contrasting in style, you know? Um, if I were to go to an audition now, I would probably take like Visidarte because I do Tosca all the time. Yep. Uh, I would probably take one of the Leonora arias because I do her a lot. I would probably take uh, Aida. So that mm -hmm. would be two Verdi's, but they would be very different because Trovatore is more coloratura and Aida is more full lyric or, or dramatic for that matter. I would probably take Norma one one bel canto and then i'd probably take something that's a little bit like oh wow does she really do that maybe i take something that i want to do in the future maybe i take mm -hmm. you know i've always wanted to sing susanna so maybe if it's an american house maybe i would take you know trees on the mountains or ain't it a pretty night just to be like hey i also want to do this kind of a thing yeah? yeah maybe if it's a german house and i think maybe i'm gonna go into wagner maybe i'll sing einsamen trubentagen or something from lohengrin yeah. you know but that's how you sort of structure once you know where your voice is gonna go that's how you structure your list and you don't necessarily need to think about contrasting as i need five languages in five different styles in five different time periods to represent every single possible thing i can do with my voice yeah <laughs> that's, not, yeah. that's not what it is anymore <laughs> you know I love hearing this stuff from from a professional of your level because so many young singers think of this as um, limiting them, you know, professionally. When in reality, uh, it plays right into what you discussed earlier when you go into an audition, showing them who you are and what you do. Yeah. And from a casting standpoint, and frankly, from a marketing standpoint, it also says you're known for this thing. So when people are thinking right. of a soprano that sings Tosca, you're on a very short list of people that come back as she sings Tosca. That's right. You know? And 
that those of us who do casting, those people who sit behind the panels and those people who are casting at large houses all understand that you literally can't sing everything. No, you, you know? can't. It's, it's not, can't. they're not going to hire you for all of the above. Right. You know, they're going to hire you. Like you said, it's get it gets more and more narrow and more and more niche. So. And there's a trust factor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a trust factor involved too. And, and, you know, obviously this is unspoken, but if, if I am known in the business as doing Tosca, right. And you can go online and look at my Tosca reviews and they're consistent across the board. The trust factor is that if you call me to jump in with three days notice, I'm probably going to do a pretty good job with it. Right. Obviously you call your colleagues in the business, you make sure I'm not a jerk and all those things, (laughs) but (laughs) more than likely I'm going to, I'm going to give a good performance. And when you're a young artist, and you're transitioning into that emerging professional world, there is no trust factor. Nobody knows you. So you don't unfortunately get everybody behind the table to go, oh, I bet this person is the most amazing technical singer and they'll never get sick and they'll never have a vocal (laughs) problem and they'll never, and we're just going to give them everything. That doesn't exist yet. You you have to gain that trust Mm -hmm. from the business. And believe me, it's easier to gain trust in a, in a, on a path, where you are focused in what your repertoire is, then it is to think I need to do all of these things because I need to show that I can do blah, 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 all these things, this, that, the other thing and spread yourself too thin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the Fox system in Europe exists for the health of the voice. Mm-hmm. It, it, it exists so that one day you aren't singing Pamina and the next day you're singing Tosca because that's impossible. Yeah. And it will, you will hurt yourself. Yeah. And your, the longevity of your instrument will, will not be there. There will be no longevity. You, you will be done in two years and they mm-hmm. don't want that, you know? Yeah. And so that's why the Fox system was developed was to take singers and put them in a special a specific niche so that they could protect the vocal folds so that when you're singing 250 performances a year which you do in the german system yeah you're not canceling every fourth one right you know right. they're keeping you in a place so that the throat is in re- the relatively the same shape the same you know technical needs all the time, mm-hmm. every day of the week. If you have to sing five performances in a week, shouldn't it be things that are sort of the same, the same needs for each role, right? Not yeah. something that's like completely out of nowhere. That's why people who sing Tosca don't sing Queen of the Night. This right. is different needs, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Very much so, so. So what ends up happening, and this happens with a lot of singers in the business, is that they they get finally they get someone to say yes right? Because what we all really need is that one person to get it Mm -hmm. and say yes. Yep. Right. Then other people start to, Oh, Oh, well, let's go see her do that. That sounds interesting. Let's do that. You know, the one person that says yes, the first time usually sets the trend for what's Mm going to come later. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky that the first person who said yes to me, the first like major international, well, major house that said yes to me was Donna Anna, right? Mm. And so Donna Anna 
for sopranos is kind of that role that tells people she's going to go sing Verdi in yep. her future, but we're going to give her Mozart right now because it's safe and healthy. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Regardless, Donata's hard, right? Yeah. But, but yeah. it's Mozart, so right. she can do it. Yeah. So thankfully, first, my one of my first professional jobs was Donana in Michigan, actually. And then after that, several other houses said, oh, she sings Donana. She can come sing Donana with us. Mm-hmm. And so my first international job was Donana. Yeah. So then the then Oslo said, oh, we need a Musetta. So let's have her come do Musetta. So I did. They heard the Donana. They liked it. They gave me the Musetta. OK, great. Then Musetta followed. Right. Mm-hmm. So then the Met gave me Musetta. Royal Opera gave me Musetta. I did Musetta more places than I can count. But Musetta got me into the business. Yeah. And then people said, holy crap, that's a big voiced Musetta. <laughs> Let's look at some Trovatore. <laughs> okay. But then once somebody said yes to Trovatore, then I did like four or five Trovatores in a row mm-hmm. because people said, oh, she does Trovatore. Okay, great. Then somebody said Tosca. So then we did Tosca and a bunch of people did Tosca in a row. And it, you know, once somebody says yes, a bunch of that stuff follows. Same thing happens with Queen of the Night. Mm-hmm. Once you go, if you're a queen of the night and you go into an audition and you sing queen of the night and they give you queen of the night, you will get queen of the night. Yeah. Yeah. And queen of the night will take you into those houses. Then you build that trust factor. If you can go out there and you can slay queen of the night, then that house says, oh, hey, in two seasons, we need a Lucia. Want to sing some Lucia? And then you go, hallelujah. (laughs) Right. As a coloratura, everybody wants to. So, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's how you build in the trust factor. You get in in the role that, you know, that is kind of your role. And then everybody else sort of follows along. And then, you know, you kind of grow this reputation mm-hmm. and, and you grow it in a certain niche. And so when you go into these auditions, you need to give them, you need to lead them down a path. Yeah. You don't need to do their job for them. You don't need, you know, you don't need to be like, okay, well, if I offer them this, then they're going to ask for this and they're going to da, 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 da. don't do their job for them. Right. But lead them down the right path. If your manager submits you for Musetta and you don't go in with Quando Menbo, you're not leading them down the path to say, oh, this is our Musetta. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, it's very important that you have that focused contrasting five ariat list Mm -hmm. and you understand who you are, where you fit in the business right now, you know, wherever you are in your development, if you're a 23 year old soprano, where you fit at 23 versus where you might fit at 28, you know, and, and, and what repertoire could you be cast in right now? Mm -hmm. What, what makes you castable? At 30, mm-hmm. you know, coming into the business with a new manager, with, you know, whatever, going into, like, let's say you're going into a cover audition at the Met. What could they actually give you to cover right now? Right. You know, how could, and that's the great thing about the Met and the cover system at the Met. When I, you know, first auditioned for the cover system at the Met, Lenore Rosenberg was like, what can we give her right now mm-hmm. that is not going to hurt her? And is going to keep her in the house 
working with conductors, working with the coaches, getting her name out there, building her consistency, all those things. Her, it was Desdemona. Yeah. I went in, the very first thing I did at the Met was Desdemona cover because it's a lyric soprano role. It has a little bit of juice in that third act, but mostly it's a pretty lyric, beautiful, easy sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she had me do it three times because she was like, new conductors are hearing her, new stage directors are working with her, you know, all those things. So if you go into a cover audition at the Met, you need to think in your head, what could they give me to cover right now in this moment? Because if you're going for a cover audition, more than likely they need a cover like next season. Yeah. So yeah. if you're if you're a mezzo and you take in Amneris, but you're not really ready to sing Amneris for another five years, then they can't cast you right now. Right. So maybe it's better to take in Sesto or, you know, any, any of the other like lyric mezzo things, Carmen, blah, blah, that they do in the season all of the time mm-hmm. so that you could be cast in a cover right now. Yeah. And that's very, very important to know. And to be able to sort of focus in on as Mm -hmm. a young singer, it's hard. It's very hard, but you have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about Europe. What are the differences, um, you know, auditioning in Europe versus auditioning main stage here? You know, it's so funny. Europe is so different. (laughs) Europe is so different. It's much more laid back and casual, which actually stresses me out more. (laughs) But yeah, so like if you're in America, and you get, let's say you get called to general audition for, you know, any house, you're going to have a day and you're going to have a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. In Europe, you don't get a time. <laughs> you get a block. <laughs> okay. And so like, I will never forget my first audition in Europe. You know, they, they, it was like one o'clock or something like that. And they said, you could arrive an hour early to work with the pianists. So I did, I wrote and I arrived an hour early and, uh, to work with the pianist and there were five other people and i was like wait everybody's working with the pianist right now at 12 and they were like yeah you just you know when it's when it's someone's done you just jump in there okay then at one o'clock there were six people standing around and i was like well am i singing at one and they were like no no actually you're at the end and i was like i gotta wait an hour no, <laughs> like, I had no idea because they, they schedule you in a block. They schedule six singers in a one hour block, which is usually like the lunch break on the mm-hmm. set or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's the tech crew that's building or maybe it's rehearsal that day or something like that. But usually it's like a one o'clock audition. It's when they can get you on the stage because they want to hear you in the house. That's actually, right. that's very important to them in Europe. Yeah. Um, where in America, we mostly hear singers in small rooms, right? In studios or small rooms at, at in New York City or rehearsal rooms. Um, in Europe, you if you're going to a house audition, 90% of the time you're singing on the stage. Yeah. Because the theaters are built so differently Mm-hmm. that they need to hear what your voice sounds like in the physical theater because it changes what fuck you are. Yeah. So if you're in a very small house and you have a very big voice, but you sing full lyric repertoire in the United States, probably they hear you as a dramatic soprano in Europe right? because the theater is so small. Yeah. So they hear all the voices in the theater. But anyway, they put you in a group mm-hmm. and they say, everybody comes at one. <laughs> And then when you stand at the side of the stage at one o'clock, they say, okay, this is the order. Boom, 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 boom. You all have 10 minutes. 
Well, if you're at the end, you have to stand there for 50 minutes or sit and wait for your time to go, which stresses me out to know I cannot, <laughs> if I warm up, I want to warm up and sing. I do not yeah. want to warm up, wait an hour and then try to sing. This is not fun. This is not a good time for me. <laughs> like, I never liked it. And I still don't like it, but it's, it's very, very different. you don't have, they don't, they won't give you your specific time, yeah. you know? Um, it's also people don't usually bring pianists. The house usually provides one of their fantastic rehearsal pianists or staff pianists. And you will go and have 10 or 15 minutes with that pianist before your audition where you can, you know, run through things, check tempi, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and in, in the United States, that obviously does happen when you're going to, you know, like, let's say a company's having auditions in New York and they're providing a pianist. But you don't get to rehearse with that pianist. You just mm -hmm. set your music down and they start playing. And yeah. hopefully, you know, he they can either sight read really, really well or they already know the repertoire. Um, but yeah, and in Europe, more often than not, I would say 90% of the time, it's a general audition. Mm. It's an audition where you take your list and they listen and they say thank you. And if they hear something that they like, you get cast, you know, yeah. and then they'll tell you, you know, what they want to cast you for. Sometimes you'll do, you know, like a working session if a house has, if a house has heard you somewhere. And then I did this once a house heard me sing something over here. I can't remember what it was. And they called me to sing a specific role for them. And they said, you know, could you learn the arias and then come in a couple of weeks and sing specifically these arias for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did, of course, you learn, you learn what they ask you to learn, and then you come and you sing it. And then still, they don't cast you sometimes yeah. <laughs> on that <Yeah>. particular occasion. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but that happens more often, I found in Europe that they would say, you know, specifically, we want to hear her for this role. Can she learn this aria, this aria and come, you know, in two weeks or whatever to sing for the directors. Yeah. yeah. Um, that happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in that kind of like blocked call time sort of audition thing is another place where it's even more important for you to know who you are as a singer and be able to like sit in that pocket and not worry about hearing those other people. You know, yeah, and hearing absolutely. what they're doing and how they're doing, and how it am I going to sing this compared to them? Who and... sing exactly the same rep as you? Yeah, because they're looking for something specific. It could be, you know, <clears throat> if if they're looking for a fox singer, if they're looking for a fest singer, it it could be five people of exactly the same fox mm -hmm. who sing exactly the same repertoire. Yeah, and you have to sit there and be like, okay, I'm just going to do my thing. Right. I have to show who I am. Mm -hmm. not oh god are they gonna like this person better than me oh i can't hit that high note i do a different high note you can't do that yeah you just you just have to do what you do show who you are what you maybe you have something that they like they notice more than said other person who sings a great high note you know it's yeah. it's it's completely aesthetic so you, there's nothing you can control in that process right. except how you perform yes yes you know it's it's completely aesthetic how many of these uh, auditions, in your experience, were done either in local languages versus English? So <clears throat> everyone pretty much adapted. Everyone pretty much spoke English to me when mm -hmm. I went for auditions in Europe. However, when I was auditioning in Europe, I was auditioning as a guest, always as a guest. And I had already made my debut at the Met. 
and I had already sung, you know, some pretty big things internationally. And mm-hmm. so I had a resume that said, she's a guest, right? not a fest, right? Yeah. So for me going into a house, you know, if I go into a house in Italy, I'm going to speak Italian because I speak Italian, right? right? But in Germany, I don't, and I don't speak well enough to have the whole audition in German. Mm-hmm. So th- if I spoke to the monitor or whomever, you know, the artistic administrator who met me at the door or whatever, if I spoke in English, they would usually speak in English back. Gotcha. Um, but I was a guest right. now, if you're going in for a fest contract in Germany and you are an American, you need to speak German mm. and you need to speak German in the audition. Mm-hmm. And that's a change from years ago where, you know, Americans could come over and speak English and everyone would be fine, but that's not the case anymore because the market is flooded. Mm. There are so many singers who want to sing here who want to sing in Germany, who want that steady job. And I tell you, it's it, if you do not speak German, it is impossible because they will not translate for you in, mm-hmm. in rehearsal. They will not. I have done plenty of productions in, in Dresden. And the only reason I've uh, three productions now in Dresden, the only reason they translated for me is because I was a guest. Yeah. But no one in the fest no one who was singing any of the of the compromarial roles or or main roles that were fast were spoken to in English, mm-hmm. Mer- Americans included, and there are plenty of Americans. So it's it's really important that if you're going, if your plan is to go into the German fest system, that you learn German. Right. Yeah. And I know, I know you've got rehearsal this evening, so we need to uh, wrap up so you can dine first and then relax into rehearsal. Um, any other uh, last words of wisdom, thoughts that you can think of that you want to share before we wrap up? I think it's it's super important for young singers coming up in the business to really focus and streamline the repertoire. And I say that not just from a vocal health standpoint, mm. but also from the other side of the table. Mm-hmm. I know it's, I obviously I've been there. I know it's very hard to be a singer in this business today and want to show and prove who you are mm-hmm. and what you can do and all of these things. But often a more streamlined and simple approach comes off more calmly and more, um, how do I say, it's, it's better accepted by yeah. the panel sitting behind the table. Um, and I really, I, I watched years ago when I was still auditioning, I watched an interview with Brian Cranston, um, who was obviously Walt White, Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, who I love. Um, <laughs> And he gave an interview to the actor's studio and the actor's studio asked him about advice for young actors who were auditioning and what he would tell them. How did he get, you know, this part, this, this big, great part. And he said, and this sticks in my head because I did the same thing and it worked. He said, when I stopped auditioning and started performing, that's when I got the greatest role of my career. And he didn't mean 
stopped auditioning just altogether. I don't do any more auditions anymore. But what he meant was when he went into the room, it was just another chance to perform for people. Mm -hmm. And that's when he got Breaking Bad. He said it was literally like he decided to change his mindset. He went in and he got Walter White. Mm -hmm. And he said, but I performed for them. And he said, and that would be my advice to all of the young actors out there now trying to break into the business. Stop auditioning and start performing. Mm -hmm. And it, it hits so deep because the audition really is another performance. Mm -hmm. It's a chance for you to practice performing and it's a chance for you to develop your skills as a performer. And once you develop those skills as a performer, you will stop auditioning, quote unquote, right? You will stop thinking that the panel is sitting there judging you because that's not what they're doing. Yeah, They're not judging you. They're watching you to see if you fit into number one, the aesthetic that they have for said certain role. Number two, their company. If you're somebody that they want to work with personality wise, you know, if, if they feel like, yeah, this person could totally fit, you know, with this cast, with these people, blah, 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 you know, and, and number three, if you can perform a character on stage, mm-hmm. you know, these are major things that they're looking for in an audition. They're not sitting behind the table going, I don't like this person. Right. They're not doing that. Yeah. I know we all think that. Yeah. <laughs> and people walk out of the room and go, I, I don't think they liked me. Well, who cares? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like this is not, this is not their job. Their job is to cast the best person that's going to give the best performance on their stage. Yeah. They're not judging. I like this person's hair. I don't like this person's dress. And we think they are. We think they are because it's such a personal art form. Right. But they aren't. So start going in and performing for those three people sitting behind the table and see what happens. See if the feedback isn't different. Mm. If you leave the judgment at the door Mm. and go Mm -hmm. in and perform for them and show them who you are and what you have to give. Yeah. I think it's really, really important because the mindset we're given in conservatory about auditioning is completely different. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's important to change that mindset. Definitely. Beautifully put. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule today. To oh, do thank this. you. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, toy, toy, toy with this production. Uh, I'm looking you. forward to the streaming, which I will definitely partake in for sure. Yes, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Opera Biz podcast, hosted and produced by Daniel Welch. Find out more about our guests at operabiz.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at operabiz.